from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos postgame reaction podcast brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing as the Toronto Argonauts take down the Ottawa Red Blacks 40 to 27 with a come from behind victory of sorts. So JB and I will get into everything that we need to cover for this game, which turned out to be way more exciting a game than I thought it was going to be leading up to it. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about something in the water brewing. It was great going down there again pre-game today. I love these home games, the setup where you can go to something in the water and then uh, make your way to BMO Field. They're so close. It's it's just steps from BMO Field right there in Liberty Village. If you haven't been down yet, you got to check it out. Um, you can grab some Longboat, the beer made for fans of the Double Blue. And uh, they've got all sorts of other great beers to try as well. But it's a great place. So many Argo fans down there. Loved having conversations with a number of listeners today. A couple that came from Ottawa, which um, it was so funny because they came from Ottawa. I originally thought they must be Red Blacks fans, but no, they're Argos fans who made the trip from Ottawa and just wanted to, uh, you know, see the uh, see the Argonauts take down their home team, I guess. And they were listeners of the show and decided they would come by something in the water. So love hearing stories like that. And it was really cool to catch up with everybody once again. So if you haven't got a chance to do it yet, next time, the next home game is the East Final, Toronto against either Montreal or Hamilton. Make sure you stop by Something in the Water pregame. JB, this was a, a weird first half and then an explosive second half for the Argos. Why do you think the Argos took so long to get going in this one? Um, well, I, I don't think, I mean, I think it's, it's probably the obvious answer is uh, the game was not important. They they don't have any bad blood with Ottawa or any friction with them at all. Ottawa is not a, a competitor for a playoff spot, uh, you know, so it it's really as as close to like a, a neutral game as as you could have so i think it took a while to get their hearts going because you can't fake it and you know when you're when you're playing a team that you don't have any feelings toward and it means nothing uh it's pretty hard not to be a little flat I thought there might be a little bit of energy just based on some of the the pregame antics that we saw where Jalen Acklin and Brendan Calver seemed to get into it during <laughs> the early outs. Like it took, it took me a second to figure out what was going on. I was looking out the window down at these guys. And I'm like, what is happening here? They weren't in they weren't in gear or anything yet. Like it was early, early outs and they were into it with each other, had to be separated. And you don't often see that, especially in a game like this between these two teams. I wasn't expecting it. And I thought that might spill over, but it it didn't really, at least not early on. And I don't think those first possessions could have gone any worse for the Argos. Crum starts it off looking amazing. Like he completed his first like 13 passes or something absurd like that. But in that first drive, marched the Red Blacks down the field for a touchdown. Toronto responds with a two and out. Much to my chagrin. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, didn't help uh, your put me down for twenty bets uh, today. No. Although Devaris Daniels did score a touchdown, <laughs> not the first one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that probably didn't go unnoticed. But uh, yeah, it just they they look so flat, and then before you knew it, the Red Blacks had a lead, and then they had a special teams touchdown. Like, Toronto's offense got clicking a little bit, but it, it took a while. They were behind. I actually thought this was a good test for the Argos that way because it woke them up a little bit. I think, you know, trailing by a touchdown 
uh, a couple times in the first half, ending the first half down by four to the Red Blacks, who just got decimated last week. They weren't they weren't in the ball game last week. And so knowing that, like Toronto was looking at themselves probably in the locker room thinking like, what, what the heck are we doing here? And then we saw a dominant Toronto Argonauts team in the second half. I don't know if we've seen them be more dominant than that this season than what you saw in the second half. They, they were, again, trailing. It wasn't so much points scored. It was just that they did whatever they wanted to do. The defense especially was just playing lights out football in the second half. Yeah, I mean, they, they outscored them 20 to 3. Um, and it didn't even feel that close. It felt like, well, I mean, it felt like a team that was nine and zero at home versus a team that doesn't win very often. It did, it did feel like that, uh, and that, but but the first half didn't. And I think probably it's probably very frustrating for Ottawa Redblacks fans who I'm sure love the first half and a little of uh, you know what they're seeing was coming together, but they had they had some issues in the second half that they just couldn't they couldn't seem to resolve like when they i think the the right tackle ended up going down they had all sorts of problems after that uh, it was a right guard they they had some change up on their on their offensive line and toronto just did anything they wanted to but it seemed to me like after half coach mace changed up his game plan a little bit so what i saw in the first half of play was uh, blitzes coming from the outside that weren't getting home, either because Crum was stepping up into the pocket a little bit and then making the throw, or picking on the side of the blitz that the or side that the blitz was coming from, and they also were able to seemingly run away from the blitz on every occasion. I don't know if they just kept getting lucky with it or uh, that was by design, but it, it was it was killing the Argos. And then in the second half they started blitzing up the middle a lot more and started setting McManus. And that was, to me, where they really changed stuff. And in the second half, suddenly you saw twists and loops and all sorts of creative stunts that we really haven't seen Coach Mace uh, deploy in a while. So that was a big turning point for me as well. Yeah, it felt like the team decided that it was important to be 9-0 at home and to kind of flex their muscles a little bit. And, you know, I'm sure they take pride in their record and uh you know wanted to win the game i mean clearly the the defense felt like this was a game that they wanted to impose their will on um yeah i mean it it shows the gear they have when they want it that's a that's the sign of a, of a very good football team that can that can just basically <laughs> throw it into gear in the second half and uh, wipe the floor with another team i think one of the things that stood out to me is that I don't feel like the Argos offense played particularly well today. Like anytime you have to settle for six field goals uh, and yeah, shout out to Boris Beattie with six for six on field goals. It's pretty amazing. But anytime you're settling for six field goals, it means those were six scoring opportunities where you didn't cash in a touchdown. And so I wouldn't say the Argos offense was really clicking per se. And yet they scored 40 offensive points. Like these aren't special teams touchdowns, no, it, pick it, sixes. It, like how how explosive are they that they can play yeah. kind of a meh game and put up forty? <laughs> I did. Uh, it is how they play. I mean, um, there were very few games in this season where I felt like it was a four quarter dominant performance by the offense, but yet. <laughs> they're always scoring more than thirty five points, so it feels a little. Uh, a little foolish to to complain about the offense they just are 
um, you know, they they talked about on the broadcast uh, how they have like the fewest plays in the league. They just are a big play scoring team, and uh, you know they're not they're not a twelve play drive team. And amazingly, again, for like the, the this and this this stat is I think one that of all the records that the Argos have set the season or on the verge of setting or everything else, one that stands out to me as being maybe the most indicative of a dominant football team is that the Toronto Argonauts have had better starting field position than their opposition through every game this season. And here we are with only two games remaining, and that continues. 16 straight games. They have better starting field position uh, on average throughout the entire game. That never happens, even with great teams. And I'm not sure it's ever happened in CFL history. It, it's just uh, one of those strange stats. But what that speaks to is that you've got special teams with big returns. You've got the defense creating turnovers and sacking the opposition. And you've got an efficient offense that doesn't always execute a touchdown drive like we saw tonight. Uh, Chad Kelly with one touchdown pass but they got into range or they were already in range. And so to me, that stat stands out is just how strong this team is because the offense can be off and still put up 40 points when the defense and the special teams are playing as well as they are. And really, this could have been, they could have scored 60 tonight if they were on. If they if they turn half of those field goals into touchdowns, this is, this is a, this is a uh, what, 50, 60 point game. JB, let's get into uh, any area of concerns. And the reason I bring this up is I looked at my Twitter feed at halftime and granted the Argos were losing 24-20 at the time, but people were in panic mode on Twitter. They were very concerned about the lack of production uh, offensively between uh, Chad Kelly and DeMonte Coxie, and that continued in the second half. We can talk about that a little bit. They were concerned that they were losing by four points to this Ottawa Red Blacks team. Maybe something needs to be done. Something needs to be shaken up. What's wrong with Chad Kelly? The, like All of these concerns were coming up on social media. Do you take away any concerns at all from this game? Does that first half worry you? Anything staying with you? No, I, I thought actually Chad looked better than he had in a couple of weeks. Um I thought he was. I thought he was pretty good tonight. I, you know, um, there there were a couple of plays that they didn't make, which are going to happen. But I thought his throws were uh, were better. He had less misses, and uh, I, yeah, I thought he played really well. I was, I actually took this to be a positive Chad Kelly game. I thought, uh, I thought it was the best I'd seen him, and you know, I I didn't think he was that great last week, and uh, I thought this week he was. Uh, he was a little more accurate, and his deep throws were were bang on. And uh, I think he was keen to get back in the game because I think he felt like he he had a good rhythm tonight. He missed a couple of throws. Uh, one I don't pin on him. There was that the very first play of the game, uh, a bomb to Devaris Daniels. That was that throw was on the money for whatever reason. Devaris seemed to hold up about twenty yards into the route. I don't know if he it's possibly lost the ball in the lights or or just couldn't pick up the ball. Uh, sometimes that happens in night games. But he seemed to slow and then suddenly accelerate and try and catch it, and it it went off his fingertips. That would have been an explosive play to open the game. That might have changed the way the first half went. But that wasn't a throw that I pinned on Chad Kelly. A few that he missed in the second half, I do wonder if the wind had anything to do with it. It got extremely windy in the second half. The first half, there was no wind. It wasn't nothing, nothing at all, nothing coming off the lake. 
nothing from the north. The banners were hanging, so you could see all of the Grey Cup banners. The flag, um, the the flags on the uprights were hanging, and then in the second half, it was like a gale force wind coming from the north, and that really affected both quarterbacks, uh, Ottawa in the third, and then Toronto in the fourth. So maybe that played into some of the misses. Yeah, he, you know, I think he still has. I don't. I'm not a concern. I think. He is still better from his own 40 than he is from the opponent's 20 when it comes to to throwing the ball. I would like to break down the stats on that. I know they score a lot of touchdowns, but it doesn't feel like he is as effective 20 and in um, as he is at throwing the deep ball. The numbers would say otherwise, not necessarily with passing they would say that the Toronto Argonauts score a lot of no, touchdowns no, exactly but I just anecdotally I guess or just through my own kind of memory it feels like he misses more throws 20 and in than than he should with somebody with his arm strength and there were a couple of touchdowns that like easy easy touchdowns that ended up being field goals at the end of the game one was to Dejan Brissett who had just a one-step slant uh, from Kelly's left side and for whatever reason, there was nobody. Like, there was nobody back there. It was middle of the field was open. And for some reason, Chad threw it on a, on a rope instead of just lofting it. And it ended up getting tipped and knocked down. But there was nobody on Brissette. If he just puts a little bit of an arc on that, Brissette could, could have uh, waltzed his way to the football and caught the touchdown. And then again with Tommy Neald, who had a double move near the end zone, he hooked right at the goal line and then sort of spun out of it uh, deep into the end zone. And again, nobody with him and just the throw was offline. It wasn't there. Um, but both of those could have been easy, easy touchdown passes. So I don't know if I'm concerned, but it's uh, it, Kelly was certainly really frustrated. He uh, you could see his body language going to the sideline because he knew he'd missed. He really wanted to get Tommy Neal to touchdown, I think. And Tommy could have had Tommy could have had like four touchdowns today, but just kept you know, one got called back, uh, two were just missed throws. There was another one. It was, a, was there a penalty on another one or something happened on another one? Neil was wide open in the red zone and he is a real red zone threat. So I think they'll sort that out. I feel like they'll figure it out. I'm not too worried about that. Um, just looking at the quarterback numbers, 18 of 28 for 287 and a touchdown for Chad Kelly. Great numbers. And then Cam Dukes came in five for five, 23 yards only. But I thought... I thought he looked really good in his limited action. I think he's getting better. You know, he, <laughs> he I, I know, wasn't someone that blew you away uh, previously. And I don't think he's ever going to. I don't know if that's who he is. But I'm getting more and more comfortable with him as a backup the more I see him on the field. And I thought tonight's performance was exactly what you want to see from a second-string quarterback. He came in. He was really efficient. Again, five, five for five is is. Terrific for a second-string quarterback. He used his feet, scrambled, made some plays uh, by extending plays. So uh, I was really pleased with the quarterback performance tonight. Um, what do you think about the running backs? No A.J. Olette for this game. Uh, what was the combination of Adebaboye and uh, McMahon doing for you? Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, Adebaboye, uh, I think, has shown this year that he he should he should... You know he he is he can be given a shot at some point. I think that he has shown when the right play is called for him. He's he's not a, a every play works, but when you get the right play for him, he he is able to get yards. And uh, you know McMahon has a nose for the end zone, which is which is terrific. I think again he gives him a really nice look down there. 
um, you know, a harder guy to spot. You kind of lose him in the crowd. Um, he's shifty rather than power. Yeah, I, I love McMahon. I think he he brings something to the offense that uh, they didn't have. And, you know, Adam Boy is a great special teamer. And if needed, you know, if if there were an injury, I think that he could, uh, you know, he can carry the rock. Yeah, and he was over six yards a carry today, nine carries, 59 yards. And I thought he and McMahon worked really well off each other. Kind of like, you know how we were talking the other the other day about how McMahon wasn't the kind of running back who could do it on his own. He needed to be a compliment to someone else. And I felt like Adebaboye, just with that, that, that big body, and he's such a punishing back, that he served as the thunderer role today to McMahon's lightning. And I thought they did play off each other well, because you have to brace yourself when Adebaboye is out there. With McMahon, it's where is he? Where is he going? And so I, I did feel like they worked that combo pretty well. McMahon, five carries for 19 yards and the touchdown. And just like you said on that touchdown, he got lost, right? It was up the middle and no one could see where he was. The linebackers lost him in space. And he was able to just sort of, he did like four jump cuts in a four yard run and then got shoved into the end zone by Dylan Giffen. So that's, I thought they worked really nicely in tandem. Yeah, it it slows down the linebacker rush because, you know, if they're looking for the screen or they're looking for, you know, a quick swing out, that only helps the power. Yeah, and I, I actually think it's, one of the most underrated, this doesn't get talked about at all, but I know like every defensive lineman I've talked to about this and every defensive line coach I've talked to about this talks about how difficult it is to go from a run rush to a pass rush. So like when you believe it's run first and that's your concern and you're exploding off the ball looking for the running back and now suddenly it's play action and they're and they're dropping back to pass or whatever it is, trying to turn on that gear to now turn this into a pass rush is really difficult. And I, I think when you've got fear of running backs, and whether that's Olette or Harris or Adebaboye, McMahon, I think McMahon is one of those guys that does concern you as a defensive lineman because he's different and, and he's easy to lose track of. I think that's the kind of guy that you see benefit your passing game because those defensive linemen hesitate just that little bit and that buys time. And we saw Chad Kelly with all day to throw tonight. Yeah, the, the offensive Sorry, line is, you know, I mean, it it, for, it doesn't get as much praise as the other aspects of the team, but uh, it, it is incredible. Like, I mean, they they have they have improved their ability to run block, but their their pass pro is elite. It is like how many times tonight did you see Chad Kelly standing back in the pocket, almost like confused, wondering if the play was blown dead. Like, that's what it looked like to me. You never see him flat-footed in the pocket. He's always bouncing around because you have to. But he got back there a few times bouncing around, and there's no one even within 10 yards of him. And so he just kind of waited there for a little bit. He's like, well, I guess I can I guess I can wait. And he waited, and eventually someone would open up, and there's the football. And, and really, I mean, for teams to get pressure, they have to send numbers. And that, of course, is fantastic. When you really are in trouble is when teams can get pressure with four or three. You know, but if you have to, you know, the teams can get pressure, but if they have to send five or six, I mean, that's a win every time. Yeah, and, and Kelly did punish Ottawa when they sent heat. He knew he's a smart quarterback. We've seen yeah, him burn blitzes have, I mean, all year. That's the thing. If you're, if you're blitzing the Argos, you have to send five or six guys. There, there's no chance you're getting pressure with four. And then he escaped a few times too. Chad had five carries for 45 yards, really nice average. It seemed like almost every time he ran with the ball, it was for a first down, almost always able to slide. I think he took two hits, 
One was uh, on the touchdown. No, it was the two-point conversion that he ran in uh, where he took a hit. And then there's another play where he took a hit as well. I think he was caught from behind. He clearly wasn't trying to run first, but there were a few situations where they found themselves in, it found Ottawa in man coverage. Chad stepped up in the pocket, saw every Ottawa player were with their back facing him. And he's like, I guess like I have to run here, even though I've been told probably not to, not to run and not to put myself at risk. That's the correct play. And so he took off and then slid after getting a first down. But that element of his game being able to rush like that. I think we haven't really seen too many games like this. I know he's got a ton of rushing touchdowns, but it's not not really the way, you know, that's not really what we're talking about here. Five carries for 45 yards is difference making. And we know how big a role his rushing ability played in the Great Cup last year. He had a couple runs kind of like that in this game where if this were bigger stakes, we'd be raving about his athletic ability and his, his ability to extend a play and and uh, get first downs with his legs. I think that's something that we haven't seen a lot this season, but don't sleep on that potential in the playoffs when the stakes are high. Maybe that's when we see a little bit more of that from Chad Kelly. Yeah, it, it opens up a whole other, you know, issue for, you know, can of worms for the defense if, if you do have to respect his ability to run for first down. So, uh, you know, I... It makes sense not to use it till the playoffs, but uh, definitely when he brings that in, it uh, it softens things up because you can't uh, you can't play man if he's going to run, or it's very hard to play man. My one thing for this week was to get Devaris Daniels six targets, and he ended up with nine targets, six catches, one hundred and forty one yards, three touchdowns. Last time Devaris played against Ottawa, he had one hundred and eighty yards and three touchdowns. What is it about Ottawa that has Tavares Daniels going yeah. off? Like, I, I guess and the Hamilton. easy, yeah, the easy answer is that they're just not a very good team. But for some reason, when he goes up against Damon Webb, uh, he his eyes light up because he had a sensational day. And this could have been bigger. Had he made that first catch of the game, we could be talking about a 200-yard, two-touchdown game, potentially. Uh, that touchdown catch he made... Uh, oh. at, at, like in the third quarter Amazing. was was the throw or because again I didn't see a replay of this one and from my angle was the throw or the catch more impressive to you um I think the throw I'd have to say the throw but it was a terrific catch I mean to he caught that very very <laughs> casually in a lot of traffic uh, but the throw was perfect because what I saw was uh, you had uh, who was on him in coverage? Webb was on him in coverage again. And then Hunter was coming a- across the field. And there was just this tiny window, this little tiny hole to put that in. It was like over the shoulder of Webb and just beyond the outstretched hand of of Hunter. And Kelly somehow got that ball in there. And Devaris doesn't show his hands until the last second. So, uh, so that meant that Webb didn't know the ball was coming. And so Devaris just running down the field. And then at the very last second, it's just like, throws his hands up speaking of not knowing the ball was coming i thought that stigger's interception was amusing i i didn't see what was amusing about it. i was watching the official that was hurt on the play (laughs) because i didn't understand what happened the the ottawa receiver definitely did not know the ball was coming oh okay and stiggers was just playing the ball from the from the gecko he just he just was ahead of him and and got the ball (laughs) because i so uh, an official went down on that play i think that was the last play of the first half right it was yeah so yeah, no, a sideline official 
um, just suddenly dropped to the ground. Uh, and I didn't know, no one hit him. I didn't know what had happened there. And I was immediately concerned because he was like on the ground, not moving. And so I didn't even see the Qantas Stiggers pick. It was, it, I was completely distracted by that. He ended up uh, very gingerly being able to walk off the field, but he was his evening was done. But I, I missed that that pick from Stiggers. I know it was a, a deep ball down the down the left sideline for Ottawa, uh, and then I heard the crowd roar and watched Stiggers run it back. But uh, yeah, the first half was over, and that was that at that point. But uh, yeah, he had kind of an up and down game. Um, obviously, the pick is nice. He also blew up a couple of plays, uh, had a couple of passes defended. Uh, who yeah, that was, was a that? terrible PI call against him. Terrible. Oh, there were a couple. There were a couple calls. I'm not, re- I'm not sure what was happening in that first quarter with the referees, but they, uh, they pulled it together after the first quarter. They but. did. The second half, they got everything right. I, I actually felt like it extended into the second quarter. There were all sorts of calls. I just didn't understand what was happening. Well, the, the PI was terrible. The the holding in the 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 uh, illegal contact downfield was a terrible call. I mean, on was, Ackland, like he he just kind of checked to see where he was. He like no, put his hand were, on Ackland to see I like know, I don't know what they were. I'm not sure what they were on about, but thankfully that uh, that cleaned itself up. Yeah, it did resolve itself. And I, I don't like to complain about CFL officiating because I actually think they're really good for the most part. I think CFL officials, I would put them up against any league's officials of any sport. I think they're right there. But this weekend in general, they've had a few questionable moments. And that, that happens. It is the hardest game to officiate in Canadian football way more so than American football. And so that's why I don't like to criticize officials at all. I know how hard it is. I've tried officiating before. I was terrible at it because it's the hardest thing in the world. Um, and uh, to, to complain about it makes me feel bad. But yeah, it was it was off today. And you're right. He got, I think, punished unfairly. Um, and what about that that face mask call? Did you get a good replay of that where you were to be able to See, like to me, it looked like Chad Kelly was face masked. That challenge that Ryan Dinwiddie threw out there, I didn't think there was any way he was going to lose. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, I don't understand how challenges work or who's making the decision. Uh, I, I, we said, I'll say it again. There should be full transparency with challenges the way they do in rugby. There is no reason that the challenge center can't be. Um, on TV or on speaker or have the person explaining it. What, you know, why is there not? I don't understand why there's not. Why, why is there all this secrecy? There, there should be somebody explaining here's the replay and here's what we decided. Um, so I think it's, you know, cause I think they're wrong a lot. So I would like, I would like them to explain uh, why they're not wrong because I would say at least half of the time, I do not understand their decision. It does feel like that. What bothers me more is when plays are randomly reviewed by the command center. That's where I get upset is that sometimes the command center will like buzz in and say like, oh, just so you know, we looked at that last play and it was, you know, it was an incomplete pass or whatever it is, or there, there was a penalty on the play. I, I like the ability to do that, but it can't just be like sometimes. It's it's got to be there's got to be some rhyme or reason to it, and less so an issue in the Argos game. But you talk to anyone watching that that uh, Stampeders Rough Riders game uh, from last night, it was all over the place. So like a couple of random like sometimes they buzzed in, but then they didn't. At the end of the Hamilton game was another time where it looked like Hatcher was well offside, and it, are they not going to buzz down for that? But you'll buzz down for something else. So 
it, it's just weird to me. Like if if the only time you go to video review is for a challenge, I'm fine with that. I, I think you can be better than that, but I'm fine with it. At least it's consistent. I, I just want them looking at every play consistently. If that's what they're going to do, it can't just be sometimes. And I think there were a couple plays today where like the roughing the passer against Wyndham McManus, for example, they the officials seemed to be talking to somebody. Was that video review? Did someone make right. a ruling on right. that? Like, we don't and, know. Or even if you're not going to do live transparency, then there should be a YouTube video the next day where the head of officiating runs through the calls and why they were made. But they, they don't. They just get to decide whatever they want. And it's like, well, like, who's making that decision? And... You know, who do they answer to? Uh, these are legitimate questions to be asking. I don't think I've ever seen Coach Dinwiddie more angry than he was after he lost his challenge on the yeah. Chad Kelly face mask. He was livid. But who, but who like, I want to know the name of the person who made that call. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's ridiculous it's, that it's you magic. don't get those. It's like, oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> what do you mean, don't worry about it? It was just a guy at the central place. He knows what he's doing. Like, what? What does that mean? No, he, you know, it, it's anyways, it is outrageous how how much it lacks transparency. And uh, I think TSN should should push to get that televised because it would be better television. And, um, you know, and, and and there's no reason not to. I don't know what what possible reason they would have other than they like being uh, unaccountable. <laughs> well, it's easier. It's far less stressful when you don't have to answer to anybody. Oh, I, it's true. I mean, it is, it is you know. <laughs> like if that were my job, I would not want to be televised. I, I get that, the sort of the dictatorship model, but nevertheless. Uh, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. Uh, how do you feel about nine sacks? That seems pretty Oof. good. Uh, nine? Yeah, some, a little, some last Boy Scout uh, dancing, although I don't know if we've had that confirmed yet or not, but... Um, that was great. Uh, it was great to see uh, Brinkman. Great to see Power. Uh, yeah, I mean the line just absolutely was eating up Ottawa. They just they they couldn't they couldn't handle it at all. <laughs> and Toronto was ruthless in that second half, just continuing to bring numbers. Uh, and uh, you know, it's all all fair in professional football, I suppose. But it was it was a pretty. Uh, like, I don't know, like, if Ottawa said something just before the half to them, uh, but it was pretty um, pointed how they did not call off anything in that second half. If you're wondering, nine sacks in a game ties an Argo's single game record, which is not surprising. That's a lot of sacks. A seven in the second half, which that may be an Argo record. I don't know. I don't have access to that I mean, at maybe, the moment. I mean, they're right there beside each other. Maybe somebody yelled something before half. I don't know. I mean, it, it definitely seemed like a light switch turn. It did. Well, I think they were losing, right? Like they were losing to Ottawa. And I think, I think coach Mace is like, you know what? That's it. We're, we're sending heat. <laughs> and uh, boy, did <laughs> they, they ever, did. and it helped like when bull went in there on, um, uh, on the offensive line, that, that caused some issues as well. I know they, they seem to. I don't know if that was the turning point, but uh, was it? It was uh, uh, Pelios that got hurt, and then um, it seemed to just be like a, a swinging gate uh, after that. So that was a that was a big moment, obviously. And then Crum got hit so hard, so oh. many times. He got oh, on the stickers by... on the stickers. The uh, pi was that Costigan that hit him? Oh my God, he got hit hard. And yeah, he, he Priester took... hit him. 
He took a lot of full, clean, <laughs> flying through the air contact uh, from the Argos. And the play that finally seemed to drive him from the game, he was essentially sacked like four times on the same play, but he just refused to go down. But he kept taking these crushing hits. It was like he got hit by Hendricks and then he got hit by Brinkman and then he got hit by Costigan. He's just bouncing off these guys, just refusing to go down. Eventually gets sacked by Robbie Smith, I think, and was barely able to limp back to the huddle. And shortly after that, they're like, "Let's, we got to get this guy out of here. And they, they put Pigram in instead. Uh, and Pigram didn't have too much more luck than, than Crum. Um, he, was, he was sacked multiple times in those last couple drives as well. So, yeah, that Argos pass rush, if you don't have a good offensive line and Coach Mace decides to send it, uh, you're in trouble. Uh, special teams. Boris Beattie, six for six, punted well. Uh, he he was the closest yeah. guy to making a tackle on the kickoff return touchdown. Uh, what'd you make of special teams play today? Yeah, I mean he was fantastic. I mean his his kickoff was fantastic. His punt was good. His field goal was perfect. He kicked one from fifty three. You know that that he he kept them in the game until they decided they wanted to win. Did you see what happened on the kickoff return touchdown? I couldn't see who uh, missed an yeah. assignment. Um, look, it just looked really well blocked. Like basically they did a really nice job of creating a lane, not, not along the sideline, which you would expect where the contain was, but like inside the contain. So they basically sealed the contain out, um, you know, out to the sideline, which is where they try to be. And then they, you know, they sealed the inside flow. So they actually created a really nice uh, channel. You know, it looked like a or just a really well blocked uh, kick. He didn't even have to move. Like it looked like no, no, no. It, it was like it, it really just it was like, like straight up field. Just perfect. Just everybody got to where they need to get to and create that channel, and and that was it. He was uh, he was gone. Yeah, no, it was it was just weird. It, it um, usually usually there's a little bit of lateral movement at some point on a on a return touchdown but yeah it's just he caught the ball and just like ran a straight line and nobody came close to him so yeah that was that was kind of a uh, that was a concerning moment early in the first half because Ottawa I think Toronto had just tied it up at 14 and Ottawa just like that in in 10 seconds was up by another touchdown so yeah it never felt concerning though I mean it never felt like Ottawa was going to be able to stop Toronto it didn't I know that's the thing like and again Ottawa played Ottawa played one of their best games in a while and yet it just never felt like uh, these are just two different classes of teams. Like, and you've talked about this before. These two teams were in the same place a few years ago. And yeah, I mean, we were, we were basement buddies. Yeah, that was it. Like they were, they were both terrible in 2019. <laughs> like our, our only wins came against Ottawa. That was it. And somehow Ottawa was like beating like Winnipeg and stuff like that. But yeah, they 2019, they both had three wins and both teams were just in the basement. Both teams were automatic wins for everyone else in the league. Both teams and, interested in Arbuckle. Both teams interested in Dimity. Yeah. And the switch was flipped for Toronto. And I think the difference there is is Pinball and Murphy and that whole group that um Vince Magri and the, the the drafting they did the free agent signings they did coach Dinwiddie obviously has a lot to do with it as well but it's everyone together and the Could moves the they c- made were better than the moves Ottawa made the curse of Arbuckle well Arbuckle they you know they they won with with uh they found a way to win with with Arbuckle in town and then 
ended up trading him out to to Edmonton, and obviously Edmonton's been suffering. Uh, and uh, and then in Ottawa, where Ottawa has continued to suffer, but it's just funny to look at these two teams were in the same place, but yet they've taken different paths. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a tribute to, to just how far the Argos have come and how great the the drafting and the team building has been. Yeah, exactly as you say. It, it the <laughs> it's not like the, it's not like the Argos went out and signed you know ten big free agents because MLSE gave a checkbook. Um, you know, they, they, they built this team to be what it is. And, uh, and Ottawa, unfortunately is still terrible. And Toronto is already looking fairly set for the future and Ottawa has a lot of question marks. So, yeah, well, I mean, just goes back to, I mean, you know, like that old line about hockey, right? Like you could change the name of the game to quarterback. Uh, they just don't have one. But they they have good parts for sure. Uh, they you know they just don't have a quarterback. Unfortunately, the Mazzoli experience didn't didn't really come to come to anything. So you know that, that they are they are doomed until until they can find somebody. There's some things I really like about Crum. Like he he's a highly accurate passer. I think he's still leading the league in in completion percentage. And even tonight, 13 of 16 for 183, a touchdown and a pick. And the pick was on the last play of the half, uh, where his receiver apparently wasn't looking. <laughs> but like, I, he just hasn't got any help. Like he has no, no blocking up front. They have, the run game's okay. Actually, the run game worked pretty well tonight. 125 yards and a touchdown on the ground for Williams. Well, I, I think but, Crum is a perfect backup. In fact, I would like to trade for him next year. I think he's a really good backup. I, I think yeah. he's a borderline starter, and that's what makes a really good backup, I guess. But I think he's right there. I think if you had, if you had the perfect team around him, like I think, I think Crum would win a lot of games with the Argos, for example. I think if you, if he was the starting quarterback of the Argos, I think they would still finish first in in the East. They wouldn't be what they are with Chad Kelly. Wouldn't I don't think it would be anywhere close. But I think they would they would be around that nine uh, ten win mark, and uh, and be competitive. But he has. His receiving core is is, you know, not great. Um, it, the running game is up and down. The old line play is is has been poor, and the defense is is hit and miss with airing to the miss side. I think a little bit more. So, yeah, that's I, I don't know. I don't know what their situation is. This isn't a Red Blacks podcast, so we don't have to worry about that. But they seem like seems like they have like a bunch of like, is this the answer? Uh, and not very many. This is the answer. All right, let's get into our players of the game and our play of the game. So uh, let's start with you, JB. Who's your player of the game from tonight? Um, well, I mean, I could have gone cutesy and said the entire defensive line, but uh, I am not going to do that. Uh, I'm here to speak for the kickers. I give voice to the kickers. Uh, when Boris Beattie is elite, I will recognize him. Uh, Boris Beattie was fantastic tonight in all three phases of the kicking game. Uh, we take him for granted, but those of us who uh, lived through the Swayze era know not to take him for granted. So he is he is my player of the game. Yeah, that makes sense. Six for six on field goals, punted well, great kickoffs, leads the league, leads the CFL historically in kickoffs. And so, yeah, he was he was awesome. And you're right, we do take it for granted. We forget sometimes how lucky we are in Toronto to have a a a special teams player like that he wasn't even he's the, he's the he's the he's the backup punter and he's leading the league in punting so 
that just tells you everything you need to know right there. For my player of the game, I'm going to go with DeVaris Daniels. I thought this needed to be a big game from him. It was. Six catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown. Maybe could have been more. Chad Kelly was close to getting player of the game for me, but I, I think I'll just give the, the nod to DeVaris. He had a really quiet week last week, and that's why I thought it was so important that he stepped up this week and had a big game. So thrilled to see him play as well as he did tonight. He was on, and for whatever reason... Ottawa is a team that uh, he seems to love playing against. He loves playing against Hamilton too. I feel like I feel like Coxie's the one who steps up against Montreal, and so whenever whoever they meet in the East final, maybe that's your put me down for twenty bet. Is uh, <laughs> if they're playing Montreal, you go with Coxie first touchdown. If they're playing Hamilton, you go with Tavares. Maybe maybe put me down for five. It might be. It might be put me down for a quarter or something like that. <laughs> at that stage, we'll see how that's going. Uh, and your play of the game. Uh, well, I, I think the catch, I think Daniel's catch was, was to play the game. It, it took the lead for good. Uh, it was a absolute dime. Uh, Kelly seemed to give a look over to the bench. I'm not sure who he was looking at, but there was definitely a kind of, how you like that, uh, vibe to it. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was an elite throw that that's when, you know, you have, uh, a star, you know, at quarterback making that throw yeah it was it, it was just one of those that uh I, there's there's nowhere to put it there was nowhere to put the football and he found a place no, to put it right like you just don't find people who can make that throw my play of the game isn't going to stand out as a highlight it won't even be in the highlight pack uh or anything like that but it, to me it just illustrated how good this team is it was a play just a random play in the third quarter jack kelly dropped back ottawa rushed four and they didn't get anywhere near to him. And Kelly stood in the pocket, surveyed the field. He ended up with Dejan Brissett on, uh, I think Dejan had a, a 20 or 25-yard dig. And Kelly just patiently waited while all five offensive linemen were blocking perfectly. Perfect technique, perfect space. They, they weren't even close to losing their man, none of them. And Chad just sailed a dart into Brissett, who caught the ball, Brace for contact, fell forward for an, an easy first down. It was like a 25-yard completion. But that play, it just made football look so easy. And this offense can do that. And I know Ottawa's not a great team, but for me, that play stood out as, you know, it wasn't the most spectacular play in the game, but it was like they, they could do that. It felt like anytime they needed to, they could pull out something like that. And that's what makes this offense elite. Even when they're having bad games, they can put on a show and they can they can impress. And for me, that one just stood out as like, that is perfect football. Um, and what a, you know, talking back to this 2019 team that we've gone back to a few times in this episode, what a pleasure it is to watch this 2023 Argonauts football team. They're so talented. They're doing things like we're comparing them to Flutie's teams. We're comparing them to teams with the, with the rock and pinball like that's the that's the stratosphere that they're in here uh with the with all the wins that they've uh, amassed here uh what are they now 14 14 wins on the season uh 14 and 2 like this, this is we're talking about all time kinds of teams in in yeah well, i believe history. ottawa and and no like no no joke i believe ottawa has not won 14 games since 2019 that's a uh they may not have that's interesting i don't think they have uh yeah and on that note 
maybe we'll bring things to a close. <laughs> well, that will just about do it for us on this uh, post-game reaction episode of the Exes and Argos podcast. The Argos are in action again next week, Saturday, in Regina, taking on the Rough Riders, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will uh, get a, a pregame walkthrough episode to you probably Wednesday this week. So make sure you catch that one. You can find all our stuff on xsandargos.com. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you. <laughs>